Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome everybody to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Todorovic, and I'm joined by my co-host that boasts the best roast, and that is Dr. Matthew Barton. Hello, Michael. You're a vegetarian, so you probably don't boast the best roast. Well, you can roast vegetables. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what a loser. Why is, your, why is your crowd still here? Uh, yeah, I paid them a lot of money. Today we're talking about, we're just going to jump straight into it. What do you think? Go for it. Well, do you want to, how are you? Are you good? <laughs> I'm well, I'm well. Good. What's new? Not a lot. Having a, an extra child is a lot more work. Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to have oh, three? You told me, you told me this. You warned me, didn't you? I did. You're like, oh, wait till you have a second. Yeah. And then I said, wait till you have a third. Wait till you have a fifth. I've got a, I got a couple of mates who have four kids. That's, I just... I but apparently four is easier than three. Yeah, but you've got to buy a new car. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you get four kids, you need you need a van. That's true, you do. Um, do they have vans? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of my mates has that new Kia uh, Carnival, is that what it's called? Yeah. That's great. That's huge. It's like an eight-seater car. It's like a bus. So... Uh, how, how are you doing? Well, thanks for asking. No problem. You never ask. I no. always ask you. You never ask me. That's because I'm not off screen. Well, I kind of off screen. No, off screen you never ask me either. No, I do. That Then you spend an hour explaining and I'm oversaturated <laughs> and then I don't want to go through it again on here and I don't want to <laughs> subject the listeners to it. All right, fair. Okay, look, no one's listening uh, because they want to hear how we are as human beings. No one cares about us personally. No one We're cares just robots. About, that's right. We're just information machines to you animals. You don't care about us. Um, anyway, dear listeners, um, <laughs> disregard everything I just said. Today we're talking about the immune system. We're going to do an overview of the immune system. And I just want to preface that by saying the immune system is bloody difficult. Yeah, very complicated. I think that probably the smartest people on the planet are immunologists and people that deal with the way that the immune system functions and all of the very specific niche, small, slight changes, defects. I mean, it is... This and I think we saw that quite evident in the pandemic, which are we still in? Yeah, still kind in the of, pandemic. Right? And that illustrates how difficult it is. So you've got the best minds on the planet trying to understand a virus, but the virus is constantly changing. Yeah. And so this is the difficulty, right? And not just that, but the way everybody responds to that yeah. virus is different. Yes, Some people are right. asymptomatic, others die. Correct. So, Correct. I mean, it, 
that's very different to and then other we actually, diseases. And, and then we're actually seeing all the ramifications now of being infected, like the long COVID syndromes, which probably a lot of it is driven by your immune system, right? So not so much the yeah. virus, it's what your immune system has done in response to the virus, which has now caused a host of downstream effects, anything from brain, heart, kidney, liver. Well, I think one of the big, uh, what they've been saying regarding COVID is that it's a vascular disease. You know, it, it, it affects the vessels and obviously every tissue of the body, body has blood vessels, yeah. but your receptors and your abundance of certain types of cells and chemicals differs from person to person and therefore some people will be affected differently. And so some might be more affected neurologically with the nervous tissue. Some might be more affected renally. Some might be more affected systemically with the, and some might not be affected heavily at all. And so I think that's one of the reasons why COVID has been a real tricky beast Very to difficult. deal with. And, right? I, and I think also this is probably the first time in human history where we've been doing, to, to a degree, science experiments in real time that the public is part of. Yeah. And people knowing this information is sometimes not yeah. great. Well, when you have... I should non- say not great. I'm not like that I want to keep... We, we should keep people in the dark, but... When you have non-specialised people trying to make sense of specialised information, it doesn't work, right? I mean, if I went to my mechanics, I know nothing about cars. If I walked into my mechanics and got him to explain exactly what he was doing and why he was doing it, there would be many things I wouldn't understand and many things I'd misinterpret. And that's simply because I don't have the content knowledge. Right. To, to make sense of it. And I think that's one of the things that's happened, like you said, involving the population in um, dealing with COVID and being part of vaccine trials and getting people vaccinated and all these types of things. It's The immune system is probably one of the most complex parts of the body and we're trying to get the public involved in understanding it. Right. And they're not trained to understand exactly. it. It's yeah. not their fault. And then even just the understanding of science and the process that science goes through yeah it's not like you do one experiment and now you have a definitive outcome that yes. is like um written in stone yeah it's just a bit of data and so working in a system now that we have a pandemic where everyone's affected and it's in an emergency situation and then scientists or medicos are being asked that you have to be definitive with this and then you have the media trying to be definitive with this that's right and then when things change which what science does yeah people feel that they lose trust in the process exactly but science is iterative by nature Mm. right and and every every scientific experiment that we perform and paper we publish is relevant in the context of that experiment and is in a way, and it's probably not the right term to use, but our best guess it's best for that got. moment, it's right? It's the best we've got. And we go from the experiments we've performed, these are the results that we got. It, and now that doesn't mean, like you said, those results are set in stone and that's what they mean. It just means that for that experiment, that's what happened. And, right? it, and, and if you do back, it more often right. and with larger numbers, then you become more confident in the answer. But you still don't really ever say that definitively this is the case particularly when it comes to the human body it's very tricky and like you said i think that's the problem that has risen where people have uh, started to distrust science and, and the scientists scientific, right? and scientists yeah. 
is because they're like, oh, you said this and now you did that and now you've said this. It's just like, yeah, because science changes all the time. And also because the virus is changing, you know. And that's true. All the early evidence was done on the Wuhan version mm. and now we're so far down beyond Omicron, which is a com- almost a different virus, right? Yeah, that's right. And so it's you can't kind of change things in real time. Yeah, that's right. So... Yeah, just that is uh, highlighting some of the difficulties associated with the immune system. So hopefully with this overview, we can help people sort of have a basic understanding of how the immune system works and also delve a little bit deeper as to the various aspects and components of the immune system so that you can apply this information either in your own life uh, or within your study. Yeah. Right? So I think this episode everybody will be able to understand in some way or another and apply some information, but there's a lot. And we'll, tra- a lot. and we'll try to illustrate it in a, in a kind of a real-life example. Yes. So to begin, let's define the immune system. And so I would say that the immune system is a complex network of cells, Correct. tissues, yes. organs, organs that work together. Molecules. Molecules that all work together to protect the body against harmful agents. And these agents could be living, bacterial, um, they could be um, viral, which isn't necessarily living, uh, fungal, parasitic. It could even be just abnormal cells of your body. Yes, and I think that's important to state that the immune system also will provide surveillance to your own self and if there is question, questionable cells, whether they are dysfunctional or whether they are maybe on the brink of becoming cancer-like, yeah. the immune system will remove them. Yeah. But there's also things that happen in the body that's not necessarily cellular but could be just debris or to- toxins. I know you don't like that term. Well, if it is a toxin, then that's, that's absolutely fine. And you can have toxins from bacteria – for example, and you can have... Metabolic... Can you say metabolic toxins? Well, you, no, you would say um, metabolic byproducts that have accumulated to toxic quantities. Okay, All right, right. So, you know, so it, uh, you could say that. But I think at the end of the day, the immune system is the body's way of dealing with something that could harm the body, where, whether it's an invading pathogen, which is something external... There could be living, non-living, and that might include bacteria, viruses, fungi, parasites, or it could be abnormal cells, or it could be uh, misshapen, damaged, dying cells, anything that at the end of the day could... Or debris of cells. Yep, could damage or harm the body. So and I think it's, it's also an interesting point to add there is you may not want to say rid in the body of microorganisms because we now know how important having... A, bio, a biota mm. or a microbiome is now, right? So you well, don't want to... We're more, we're more cells of other things than we are ourselves. So you, you don't want our immune system to make us sterile. No. So we do have to live with these, and we shouldn't say pathogens, because pathogens are disease-causing microorganisms. So That's we should right. just say we want to live with other microorganisms, but we need to have that balance between... Having a neighbourhood of microorganisms but not allowing the dodgy ones in. That's right. We live in a biome and the biome is not just us. It is bacteria. It is viral. It is um, fungal. It is parasitic. We have all of these organisms on us 
right now and they aren't necessarily pathogenic. However, you can have organisms that live on and in you that may not be pathogenic in the environment or you know in the local environment that they live in on your body in the quantity that they live in, but if they become overabundant or they decide to move home and go from your skin to your blood, for example, then yes, or, or your yeah, or your surveillance system has kind of weakened. Yeah, to to let them do this, yeah. then yes, then it can be damaging, and that would be called opportunistic. Yes, and that happens. I mean, for example, we've got um, staph on us at all times. Staphylococcus aureus, right? A bacteria. I dog. No, sorry, not staphies, <laughs> but we've got staph aureus on us at all times, and it's not necessarily a problem until you have too much or it's in the wrong spot. Yeah. So again, we need to be very mindful of that, and our own um, uh, genome, our DNA, is filled with old dead viruses. And in actual fact, by saying dead makes it sound like they don't work. We've got a whole bunch of viruses, ancient viruses embedded in our genome that we require for survival. So we've even taken some of these pathogenic organisms, if you could call a virus an organism, uh, and have incorporated it into our DNA and have used it and wouldn't be around today without it. So again, it's bloody complex. So when we talk about this, we're going to use some analogies. And Matt and I sat down for the oh, wait, first Before time. I do that, can I just summarise the immune system in my mnemonic? Yes, but just let me quickly just okay. say that Matt and I sat down for probably the longest time period ever together to discuss a podcast. Five minutes. Which was about five, ten minutes. Um, to talk about how are we going to frame this episode. And so we think we've figured, we haven't practised it, but we think we've figured out a good um, overall analogy to use. But before we jump into that analogy, please go so ahead. So this Matt. is just me summarizing what the immune system does in a few dot point uh, words. Okay. And what do you call them? Your five R's. Matthew's five R's of the immune system. Yeah. Is that what it's now trademarked let's, as? Let's trademark it. Matthew's. F- Ladies and gentlemen, may I give you... No, that's not right. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce to you the five R's. No. Ladies and gentlemen, how much of this should I cut? Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Matthew Barton and his five R's of the immune system. I've got applause today. Okay, great. for once. So, first R, it needs to recognise. It needs to recognise... redhead. (laughs) (laughs) It needs to recognise those shady characters. So, both outward or also inward. It needs to react to this so when it when it recognizes it needs to be able to react, react to it yep. in a favorable way it needs to remove okay so it needs to get them out of the picture usually destroying them it needs to repair and that's probably the additional thing we could have said at the start the immune system is also important not only for uh you know killing things off and removing debris but also facilitating healing it sets the scene. Yeah. Right. And then finally, to remember. So what are the five, just what are the five R's? Recognize. Yep. React. Yep. Remove. Yep. Repair and remember. Wow. How's that, everyone? Are you proud of Matt? Because I'm not. <laughs> never have been, never will be. All right. So that sets the scene. It does. So it does a lot of things for us. We are going to now set another scene. This scene, Matthew is a military battlefield. 
we are in a war. In a war, yes. And this war is going to have soldiers. It's going to have infantrymen. It's going to have various units within the military. It's going to have generals and lieutenants and it's going to have grunts and it's going to have front linesmen and it's going to have very specific individuals like the Navy SEALs or here in and Australia. Equi- and equipment they, they use. Yes. And the equipment they use. And we're going to tie it all together to build this beautiful understanding of the immune system. Firstly, I think it's fair to say that you can broadly divide the immune system up into what we call the innate division and the adaptive division. Now, the innate innate division is also known as the non-specific aspect of the immune system. Yep. And the adaptive division is the specific aspect. What this is referring to broadly is that the innate or non-specific, it's various cells, chemicals, structures and functions of the body that will deal with these pathogens or issues of the body non-specifically. It doesn't care whether it's a bacteria or a virus or just a damaged cell. It really doesn't care what it is. It's going to deal with it the same way regardless. And so that's why it's called uh, non-specific or innate. Yep. Yep. The adaptive and, it, and it's And the way it reacts to it is very fast. Very true. Yep. Very so fast. So it acts within seconds, hours. It's the first line of defense. Yep. Yep. Compare that to the adaptive. Now, this is the specific arm. It has a way of recognizing specific pathogens. So it knows whether, not just whether it's a bacteria or a virus, but it knows what type of bacteria it is and yeah. what type of virus it is and whether it's seen it before. So it has memory. It can develop memory yeah. and it can retain and maintain that memory. Yeah, and I think I'll add there, when you say recognizes, it's recognizing a piece of that foreign agent, right? That's right. Which is an antigen. And it's important to, to note here that this is as close as it can be to infinite. So, yeah. As in uh, infinite, it can, inf- it can recognize an infin- theoretically an infin- um, infinite number. Why can't we say the word infinite today? Infinite. Infinite. A- amount of antigens. Yes. So these are the pieces of clothing or articles or something that recognizes something foreign or damaged. I'll give you an example. When we're at work, if I say, hey, Matt, I'm going to come to the Gold Coast campus, I'll see you there. If I'm walking and you're in the distance, I recognize your red hair. That's your <laughs> that's antigen. My, that's my antigen. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's like your flag that you wave okay. that says, I am Matt Barton. So now you know specifically that's me. Yep. Yes. So at some point when I scalp you, I'll be able to take that red hair and show it to somebody else and they go, oh, that's Matt. Yep. Yeah. It was Matt. All right. So let's first focus on the innate Yes. Arm of the immune system. So non-specific, doesn't have memory. The very first part of this, again, if we're thinking about the military, this is going to be the external defences. So this is going to be the things keeping everything out. So this would be the first line of defence? This is the first line of defence. This is, let's just say, um, you're trying to keep your city under control. You don't want any of the invading enemies getting into your city. And you know that the enemy is fast approaching. So what do you do, right? If the enemy's fast approaching, what do you sort of set up? What do you get ready to stop them from first invading? Yeah, they put all those temporary barriers up with sandbags and razor wire and things like that, right? Yeah. Where it makes it very difficult for invading ar- armies to get into. So the first thing, like you said, is these walls. 
And so we've got walls of our body, which is called the epidermis, which is our skin, which is made up of epithelia, which is one of the four tissues of the body. Epithelia, nervous, connective and muscle. So epithelia is the protective lining. And the protective lining of our skin, the epithelia, is called stratified squamous, which is many layers of these flat pancake-shaped dead cells. Yep. And that's like just creating this fast brick wall or sandbagged wall surrounding the city. Yep. Easy. Easy. First line of defense. But there's other things. There's right? other, yeah, there's other vulnerabilities where the army can get into. Well, that's a, the invading army. That's right. Exactly right. And so let's just say they, they get to the wall. So you'd say your, your body as a surface, I'd be guessing here, but so let's say something like 98% of your body is wrapped up in skin. Yeah. So it's a pretty good barrier. But there are a, f- a couple of vulnerable points where you can get entry into the body. Eyes, mouth. Yeah, all the orifices basically. So ears, right. eyes, nose, mouth, rectum. I mean, yeah, that'll that'll do. Let's keep it like that. Yeah. So uh, now we go into mucous membranes, which are areas that have still like a wall, someone to it, but it's now got fluid associated with it. So because the army that's protecting the city, they know these are vulnerable vulnerable spots because this is where the army, their own army, enters and leaves. Yeah. Right. And this is where some of the citizens can enter and leave. So you need you can't just wall off everything, otherwise. How do you get food in? That's right. Right? How do you get waste out? Yep. Just like the body, right? Um, so what they do is they go, okay, these are vulnerable spots. What can we do to make this less vulnerable? And what the body does is it creates these mucous membranes and they have fluids and these fluids often have enzymes that just make it uh, not an, not a great environment for anybody come, or anything pathogen coming in. So for example, you've got your saliva, and your saliva will have multitude of enzymes inside. So do your tears yep. as well. And, you know, they've got various enzymes that can start to break things down. So, for example, um, you've got your tears, you've got your saliva, you've got the mucous membranes inside of your nose. All of them have enzymes and the pH is a bit off, which means it's not a great environment to survive. You've also got sebaceous glands and sweat glands on your skin which release oils and release very salty sweat and again it's not a great environment for anything to survive yeah so you're sort of removing all the uh all the um factors that make it tenable for survival so it's like salting the land of the enemy where it's just like well i'm not gonna have any there's not gonna be any food for you and your sebaceous oil glands secrete unsaturated fatty acids which bacteria don't really like to eat. Uh, you also secrete a lot of sweat, which can wash things away as well. So again, it's just like making the land untenable yeah. for their survival. Yep, yep. Does that make sense? It does. Um, but you've also got things like hair and cilia, which can trap things. That could be maybe the, like the razor wire. Yes, the razor wire on top of the fences. And they get stuck in it. Yes, yep. and then you can sort of just pluck it out and throw it away. Mm. And so that's... Uh, so within the fluid also, you could throw in some mines. So oh, you know yes. how in the, the waterways, they would th- throw those floating mines and then if the ships try to get, they'd just blow up. Yes. So tears, saliva, any other mucus, maybe also in the, the genital tract, yep. like the vagina, 
and the urethra they would have these kind of lysosomes yeah that which would blow it apart that's right yeah oh, that's a, i think that's a good one and also if it gets in let's say it gets through and it gets into your gut for example your stomach i should say the ph is going to be between one to three right so again there's some water landmines there you're just going to disintegrate yeah you're not going to do case. too well in the stomach so what we've got as our first line of defense here, it's non-specific. It doesn't care what is invading it, but you've got the, the epidermis and the, the skin, which are the walls. You've got the hair and the cilia, which is going to be like the barbed wire fence. You're going to have the saliva. You're going to have the tears. And these are going to be things like, you know, salting the fields or n- not allowing for the environment to be good enough to s- survive on or having water mines or land mines present to just blow things apart. That's the external barriers that we first have. But the thing is we know that enemies can invade through those external barriers and sometimes you need to fight head on, Mm. fight face to face. And this is where we start talking about the internal defences of the body. Again, they're innate, they're non-specific, but now we need to talk about the fighters, the warriors, the soldiers. So now we go into the second line of defence Yep. and these are the cells. Yep. But now we're talking about the soldiers. Are still the, innate, still yeah. non-specific. Yep, yep. In place of the soldiers there, these are the cells. Yes, okay. that's right. So the very first line of defence is the grunts, right? These are just the general soldiers of the army. Um, we could call them in this context the phagocytes. So phagocytes, phage means to eat, site means cells. And there's a couple of different types of phagocytes, but their job is to go in and indiscriminately destroy. And so the majority here would be the infantry, right? These are the... The riflemen. The rifle people. Yeah. So this is the neutrophils. Rifle people, yeah. The the neutrophils. Yeah. And the vast majority of these cells are from this type. So neutrophils. somewhere of the range of 40 to 60% of white blood cells, because these are white blood cells, right? Can Leuco- we say, yes, can we say this now? Yeah. So leukocytes, leuco means white, cytes, cells. So this is a, a form of blood cell, neutrophils. These are the grunts. These are the, the rifle people. And 40 to 60% of white blood cells that you can create in your body would be the, of this type. Yes, and if we think about the white blood cells, the leukocytes, you, there's a mnemonic you can use to remember them which is, and we're going to talk about all of these leukocytes, never let monkeys eat bananas. And it goes in order of most abundant to least abundant. So never is? Neutrophils. Yeah. Let? Lymphocytes. Monkeys? Monocytes. Eat? Sonophils. Yeah, eosinophils. Bananas? Basophil. That's right. So these are the white blood cells. Now the thing is, of these five... The lymphocytes are the T and B cells, which are part of the adaptive immune so we'll, system. So park that one and we'll talk about it a bit later. Yeah, but we will talk about neutrophils, yeah. monocytes, eosinophils and basophils because they're part of this innate non-specific. Yeah. Now you perfectly said the very first white blood cell that comes in when there is something invading is the neutrophils. They're the rifle people. They're the front line of defense. They're coming in and because they're, uh, what we call phagocytic, their job is to simply engulf and destroy. Yeah. So the, the process of phagocytosis, which is what neutrophils do, is basically it engulfs it, brings it inside, destroys it inside of itself and breaks it down and, and then, basically recycles the parts of it. Yeah, and then itself as well. And so itself, They're not yes. lasting very long. You know, they really only last in probably hours. 
It's a good point. So they self-sacrifice. A lot. And, and when they ta- get the enemy and destroy them and they themselves die, you've got the remains of them laying across the battlefield. This is pus. It's pus. After yeah. you get an infection. Yeah, particularly yeah. infection that you can see, right? So if it's on skin or maybe in your nose, mouth, this is you'd basically see the remnants of neutrophils probably killing bacteria yeah. and themselves dying in lumps everywhere, which is the pus. Great. Glad you said lumps. <laughs> so in addition to the... And the one, the one thing I will add here, yeah. why we call them these strange names... What do you mean? As in like neutrophil? Yeah, go on. Is, well, neutrophil, acinophil, basophil, they are in reference to phil, philic, which oh. means to love. Oh, sorry. Right? I've got a cousin called Phil and I just thought it was <laughs> named after him. Um, to like the stain that they are stained with. So neutrophil, they like a neutral stain? stain. The stain that would stain the neutrophil... Histologically. Histologically would be of a neutral pH. So you're talking about all the boring stuff. That's right, but I've got to say it because otherwise people will wonder why they have these strange names. So when you stain it with something boring and neutral, neutrophils light up. What about basophils? Basic. So a, a basic stain. A basic stain. So it's something beyond seven pH. All right. Eosinophils? Well, eosinophil oh, is like a specific stain called eosin. Which is purple? Pink. Pink. Okay. I'm colorblind. And uh, what's the last one? Monocyte. Monocytes. That's just a cell with a single nucleus. Right. Right. So it's all different. I- well, the other one's, one's about the stain. Yeah, one's about the stain it likes. The other one's about the acidity. The other one's about what it looks like inside. And then, basically, it's all histological appearances. Let's keep it to that, right. and let's leave it at that. <laughs> that's because right. That's boring. The the histologist will hate us, but anyway, we've said it. We've said we it. We love you, though. Yes, we love you. You can hate our guts. That's fine. <laughs> So neutrophils, first line defense, but they're not the only phagocytic cells that come in. There's a lot. There's a away. lot. So the second lot are macrophages, which just mean big eaters. So And they technically aren't macrophages to begin with, so they're not born that way, Michael. Well, not the first type, called the wandering macrophages. The wandering macrophages are actually monocytes, <laughs> Yeah. right? And so we've spoken about neutrophils. Now let's talk about monocytes. You said they're the ones that when you stain them, they've got the big circle on the yeah, inside, right? which is the nucleus, yeah. It's the nucleus. So what the monocytes do is they're floating through the bloodstream, and then when they get to the site of infection, where they're like, oh, this is where the enemy has broken through the walls, they jump to the that battle site. So they jump out of the blood vessel and start migrating towards the, the area of concern. Yep, in the tissue. And here it starts to change, and it changes its appearance into a macrophage, which is a big eater. Okay. And now it stays there and engulfs and eats and destroys. And what would this be as a, a military personnel? So this is going to be uh, like the scouts. Okay. You know, so they're sort of walking, th- they're sort of- Looking for danger. That's right. They're roaming the battlefield and going, over there, I'm going over there. And as soon as the scout gets onto the battlefield, they pull their rifle out. They're a rifleman now. Okay. Right? Yeah. So then they start to, to, to fight. Take them out. But you also mentioned that the macrophages yeah. have also been strategically located as fixed macrophages. So they're put in certain locations in the body that are likely to encounter dodgy things. Yes. So the monocytes are the wandering 
they just the, the scouts they float through. But you're right. There's going to be some where the uh, the general has said, "Look, you guys, I want you to remain in the jungle and you stay there and wait for the enemy. You guys are going to remain in the in the desert. You're going to remain in an urban environment, right? And they just sit there and they wait. They got their snipers ready and they're sitting and waiting for the enemy. They're fixed macrophages, and so you can have the Cupfer cells. So they're in the, li- cells in the liver? Of the liver. You can have the microglia. So that's the uh, central nervous system? Of the central nervous system. You can have... Oh, this. Well, there's, there's going to be one in the alveoli. So alveoli. And they're, they're, just the ju- alveoli. they're the jungle ones. They're right at the bottom yep. of the... It's a very wet, humid environment. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And so they're really the last form of defense in, in your respiratory tract. They're that's right cool. at the bottom of the alveoli's hanging out just in case... It gets right to the bottom. That's right. So basically pick a tissue of the body. You're going to have some fixed macrophages there. And they've got the sniper and they're ready. Again, they don't care what's coming as long as it's something that shouldn't be there. And then they'll pick it off. So there's another one just to add here, which I'm not sure it technically is a macrophage, but there's a term or a cell called a dendritic cell. Yes. And so they're also located in the under the epidermis, so in the dermis layer and also in the mucosa. And they're going to be very important because they're basically the bridge between the innate yep. and the adaptive. So they're going to play a really important role in identifying the enemy. But you could probably just say that they're just a form of macrophage as well, right? Yeah. Or a phagocyte at least. I, I would call it a fixed macrophage. Yeah. Yeah. So, then we, so they're those basically the, the grunts, right? And we've, you know, but we've got other cells, that are present. We haven't spoken about the eosinophils or the basophils. Now, they're less abundant, but they have very specific roles in the uh, innate aspect of the immune system. The way you should think about the, and correct me if I'm wrong, the eosinophils and the basophils is the eosinophils are white blood cells that are really good at helping kill off um, parasitic infections. Yes, that I think that would be probably slightly more dominant of the eosinophils, yeah. And then the basophils are very good at allergic responses. This is where it becomes difficult because the sonophils will also be allergies. Yes, there's overlap with all of these cell types. Yes, that's right. But if we're going to just sort of make it easy to understand, eosinophils, they're there for the parasitic infections and the basophils are there for the allergic response-based infections. So with eosinophils, the parasites we could give an example to... Like a tank coming in. Yeah, like worms. So helminths, which helminths. is is what we term it in microbiology. Which is funny because when we played the game Worms, they were wearing helmets. <laughs> so oh, these are helminths. That's right. Sorry, yeah. So the sonophils, yeah, like the t- tank, what would you call them? Uh, uh, shooters. Like anti-missile. Yeah, right. Anti- so they yeah, just that's right. shooting missiles. These are, well, technically sonophils ha- are filled with granules. Yes. So they are called, you know, in... In again histology, they'd be called a granulocyte. Yeah. And when they are activated, they spill their granules over the let's say in this case the, over the worm, yep. which is like shooting missiles into the tank. Yeah. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Um, okay. So the basophils, right? So basophils, you can probably talk with mast cells. Yeah. So mast cells are a bit like what you said with the wandering versus the fixed. So, so which ones which here? The fixed are the mast cells. So they're like a fixed. Basophil, yep, and the basophil is wandering a bit. Okay, and when they come across, sort of like the you know an injury, 
Yeah, or, or I mean, I could be wrong with my analogy here, but let's just say the enemy has thrown out some sort of chemical warfare, right? Agent Orange or something. When that chemical hits these soldiers, they're now primed to respond and react. And so the way they will react is they're carrying their flamethrowers with them. Basophils are wandering with their flamethrowers and Marcel's they're sitting crouching with their flamethrowers. And then when the enemy comes by with their chemical agents to trigger them, again, the allergen, they start flamethrowing. They can't see them. All they see is the chemical. They just, oh, there's chemical, that means the enemy's nearby. And they flamethrow that area. Now what happens when you start to flamethrow an area? It starts to... Heat up heat up and you get inflammation. Yeah, so I think this is a good indication. What we're trying to do here is the basophils and the mast cells are really important cells to initiate inflammation. Yes. And inflammation is a physiological process that's part of the immune system that's non-specific, but it's a now it's a physiology, it's a, it's a process. Yeah. So why do we have inflammation? Well, it's a good it's a good thing to have to notify the body when it has been injured for the first time. Inflammation is like hanging out with Matt. In the short term, it's great. But over but time, in the long term, it's pretty annoying. And detrimental. And yeah, you've got to get rid of it. And so <laughs> inflammation is also part of the innate non-specific immune system. So we can sort of talk about it now if you like. Yeah, so anything that potentially can cause tissue injury. To vascularize tissue. Yeah, which is pretty much everything. Except cartilage. Yeah, which is not a huge amount of tissue in the body, but That's you're right. yourself. I'm uh, very cartilaginous. <laughs> I'm like a shark. <laughs> all right, so what it will do is initiate this process. And so an example, what the mast cells and the basophils are doing here, because, they, again, they're granules, they will do a process called degranulation. Yep. And one really common granule that they will release is histamine. And so, so they, Could you say that the flame in the flamethrower is histamine? That's right, yep. So it's spilling all this histamine into the tissue and that's in the tissue is all these blood vessels and the blood vessels start dilating, meaning more blood will come to the area. So the area becomes hyperemic, which means uh, lots of blood flow yep. and it becomes really leaky. So a lot of plasma leaks out into that area now, which yeah. is going to be important for also bringing all those soldiers into the into the area. Which yeah. is Well, w- think w- about w- it. When you get the flamethrower and you start to flamethrower jungle – Everyone's going to look in that direction yeah, that's right. and go, something's going on over there. That's right. Let's get over there. And so then you've got more neutrophils and monocytes and macrophages coming to that area to yep. help fight that infection. And the other thing that flooding the area does yep. is it dilutes it all. So when you spoke about yes. all those chemicals and all those destructive agents to the tissue, putting exudate or edema into that area floods it, yep. dilutes it, and allows it to be a more favourable environment for repairing yeah that's a good point um when we talk about inflammation what are the cardinal signs so anytime you have inflammation so anytime you have damage to vascularized tissue inflammation will occur but we know that inflammation ticks three or four different boxes which are red redness heat heat swelling yeah pain right now usually with those at least for the last two pain and swelling it will add a fifth which is loss of function or decreased use. So wherever that inflamed tissue is, it's likely that you don't want to use it anymore. So you could say there's five cardinal signs. And all of these basically come off the back of um, 
increased vascular permeability, so the leakiness of the vessel, and um, and vasodilation, vasodilation, which is really due to this histamine. Now you could, if you wanted to, and I think we should, add a couple of other chemicals here, which are released when those cells are damaged. So for example, when the basophils and the mast cells start to flame throw um, and you know, you're fighting the enemy, other tissue will be damaged during that time. Yep. And these tissues are going to release bradykinins and prostaglandins. Yeah, and all these are made from cell membranes. So yes. pretty much any cell with a cell membrane, <laughs> which is every cell, yeah. will has the potential to make these products that you just spoke of. Yeah, particularly um, prostaglandins. prostaglandins made from arachidonic acid, which comes from the fatty bilayer. And prostaglandins do what histamine does pretty much very, very similarly, but probably more abundant. And prostaglandins um, are ubiquitous. They're everywhere in the body, but they don't just play an inflammatory role. Mm. There's actually a subset of prostaglandins that are activated in times of inflammation that do vasodilation and increase vascular permeability. But there are prostaglandins in the body that play housekeeping. Very important housekeeping. Yes, so like allows for the kidneys to work, allows for the gut to produce a mucus barrier, a yeah, yeah. whole bunch of stuff. Um, and that's important to note because if you try to use drugs to diminish inflammation, yeah, if it's not selective, yeah. you can start to knock off these housekeeping effects and that's where you get the big side effects of anti-inflammatories, specifically the non-steroid anti-inflammatories. NSAIDs. Like like aspirin, like ibuprofen, things Diclofenac, like that. Diclofenac, they stop prostaglandins. Yep. But if you have too much of it, you stop the housekeeping functions of prostaglandins. So you can get uh, ulcers. ulcers in your stomach and kidney function issues. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we've spoken about those granulocytes, the eosinophils and the basophils and the mast cells. There's another cell type we need to talk about here that comes into play. Very sneaky cell type. It's got a cool name, the NK cell. What does NK cell stand for? Natural killer. Yeah. That's all they're made Remember for. that movie, Woody Harrelson? I know of it. Natural, natural born killers. Natural born killers. It's disturbing. But anyway, so you got the natural killer cells. So interesting for those ones, yeah. they've actually come from the lineage of lymphocytes. Which so are T and B cells. Correct. But so they're specific. That's right. But these aren't. These aren't. Right. So these are guys started from a different area of the military yep. and they're def- I don't know if defected is the correct term, but let's just go with that. They're defected to the innate system. So they've left one arm of the military and moved to another. I see these as um, mercenaries. They're sort yeah, of that's a- good. out for themselves, right? And they're pretty ruthless. And what they do is when they see an enemy, they basically will very quietly go up to them and stab, so, stab, stab. So these are the ones Did that... Did you watch Futurama? You yeah. know the robot that stabs? <laughs> All he does is stab. He's sort of like this uh, miswired robot and he's stab, stab. Stabby, stab, stab, stab. So that's the NK cell is Stabby the robot. I like to think, you know, those ones that just dress up in full camo and they just lie on the ground. Yeah, they've got the camo under the eyes (laughs) and they just, yeah, yeah. They're just waiting around and then once, and and, well, this is important to note here. With your cells in your body, you have certain things that identify you as self. And an important receptor that does this is called the MHC1, the major compatibility complex this is a type one okay so this would be your like swipe card that would tell 
your immune system that this is you. Don't kill you, as in your own cells, right? Oh, uh, this is your identification That's right. Badge. But if anyone's foreign, they don't have this yes. identification. Like in every movie where they try, you know, where the US military tries to get into a Russian base and they need to fake the ID. Correct. So that, but if they don't have the ID... They're in trouble. Okay. So, so this so who's got this? The, well, we do, our own cells. Oh, okay. Okay, so the natural... The, the NKs, the natural yep. killers, are just looking out whether they have the identification or not. Right. And if they, they lie on the ground in full camo and they see a person walking past, they see this guy doesn't have any MHC1. And so stabby, stab, 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 stab. Come up behind, put holes through it with a knife. Yep, called perforance. So it actually has enzymes that Perf- act like the knife. And just put holes all over it, yep. which is not going to be very good for that outcome. Yep. Or if it's in a... A difficult situation where you can't make noise. Right, because the person's going to scream if you stab right. them. Okay. You put cyanide tablets into the mouth and close their mouth. Oh, and then they will disintegrate from the inside. That's right. And so that's called uh, uh, granzymes. That's right. So the NK cells have knives called perforins, which put holes in them, and they just leak out, changes the concentration gradient from inside to the outside, and they just leak out and die. But in other moments, it might want to give them granzymes to destroy them from the inside. and induce something called apoptosis. That's right. Yeah. Which is Greek for when the leaves fall off the trees in autumn. In autumn. It's lovely. Beautiful. So stunning. Uh, anyway, back to the violence. Uh, so this is different to necrosis. We need to, I think it's yeah, important to uh, sort of state. Necrosis is when basically the walls just break off and the cell sort of dies out in the open. And it can be damaging to other cells around it, right? Necrosis. Yeah, that's right. Like one necrotic cell could possibly induce another necrotic cell because of the chemicals it releases and makes the environment yeah, uh, very, inhospitable. That's right. All the, all the gut. So this is more talking about your own cell depth here rather yeah. than microorganisms. Yeah. So if you were to go, have to go through, let's say there was a situation in this analogy where a whole lot of your cells were compromised and they needed to be destructed. Yeah. If they were able to be done in a controlled manner, so if the... I don't know, some military personnel came in and said, look, guys, you're really not well here. You've been infected. We want you to take one for the team and self-destruct. Yeah, They can do that in a very controlled demolition way. You know how when you do it, the demolition and it's nicely orchestrated and it falls down with no damage to the neighbourhood? Yes. That's apoptosis. Yeah. Okay? But if it's done very quickly, so there's a lot of destruction quickly and the cells don't have the ability to kill themselves in a controlled manner, they're just going to explode everywhere. And the inside of the cells... The is going to go, go everywhere. Through and the inside the of the cell has a lot of chemicals that's dangerous and toxic yeah. to the, the environment. This could be anything from lots of calcium to even things like ATP or even bits of DNA mm. or lots of potassium. This is harmful for the neighbouring environment. So necrosis is an uncontrolled cell death where it just bursts and can damage the environment and, and apoptosis. Cause, that's right, and cause more inflammation. And apoptosis is a controlled cell death that happens from the inside and it basically just is self-controlled, doesn't damage the environment. Yeah, and, right. and a good example of that, of, of uh, necrosis, just to illustrate something clinically, if you were to have a heart attack so a myocardial infarction, where a whole segment of your heart was to die quickly and this would be a result of running out of blood. Yep. So you have a blockage in a pipe, a blood pipe, a whole 
section of heart Do we call dies. Them blood pipes? Arteries. Oh. Cor- coronal arteries. <laughs> coronary arteries. Okay. So a whole section. Words, Matt. Words. A whole section of the heart dies. Yeah. But it dies so quickly that it just bursts everywhere. And all the bits of the, this is going to be the cardiomyocytes, burst into the blood. And you can act, clinicians actually measure this. And this is a way that we know that a person's had a heart attack. We look at these levels in the blood. This is called troponin which is just a protein inside muscles. And CK. And we know that, you, yep, um, creatine kinase, which is an enzyme in muscle. And they can go, oh, looks like you've had some necrosis. Yeah. But this is likely in your heart because you've had other symptoms like chest pain. and That's right. And if apoptosis occurred, you wouldn't be able to measure those things because they would be self-contained. That's right. All right. So we've spoken about now those NK cells and the fact that they are very tricky sort of things. Uh, I want to very quickly talk about the chemicals. So we've spoken about the cells. Let's talk about the chemicals uh, of the innate immune system. And so the chemicals are interesting. The chemicals aren't the soldiers themselves, but the chemicals are ways that the soldiers can leverage the equipment or leverage other individuals to help in the response to fight against the um, invaders. And there's two major chemical types that we should talk about. The first of which are the complement proteins. There's around about 30 complement proteins and they do what they sound like they do. They complement the immune system. And they do this, the way I like to think about the complement proteins is they basically figure out what is needed to help support the defense or the attack. And it might mean more ammo. So they help facilitate more. So they reload the guns, they reload the missiles, they reload all those types of things. Or the mortars. Or the mortars. So that's the complement. And the complement, so, so physiologically the complement are a whole lot of inactive proteins in the blood. Yep. That's just always there. But when they encounter an environment chemically that there is something going on, they all snap together. And an example of what they do is once they all join in a big complement process, they then smash holes into bacteria. Yes. And so this is like the mortar, like you said. So we've got the complement proteins and then you've got the cytokines. Now the cytokines uh, simply just mean signaling cells, right? Um, and there's many different types. Well, signaling cell, uh, cyto. Cyto to do, to tell cells to do things. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like calling in support. That's, the, that's what the cytokines do. And there's heaps of different types of cytokines. Two important ones are interleukins and interferons. But if you think about the cytokines as calling in for support, the interleukins is like calling in air support. Interleukins are the chemical messengers uh, that call in other white blood cells. Yeah, so they're interleukins, I mean, between white. So they're between the white blood cells. So there's specific communications just between the military personnel that's right and so they might be saying hey i need air support or i need more foot soldiers or i need the special forces to come in that's what the interleukins do the interferons though what do they do well these are specific to viral infected cells so if a cell is now infected with a virus so the way that a virus would work it's an intracellular parasite unlike a bacteria that's it could be intracellular but it's mostly going to be extracellular meaning it survives outside cells in the interstitial or extracellular fluid. But uh, viruses need to replicate 
it needs to dock on to a host cell. So it needs to, like a a moon lander, it has to land onto a cell. Mm. It needs to inject its genetic information and it needs to trick the cell to remake a whole lot of viruses. So in the analogy here, it's sort of like the enemy has now infiltrated a particular unit or let's just say... Or a building. Or a building. It's just like, oh, we had that building, now the enemy has that building. Right. So what the interferons do... Which is is a chemical message. Yeah, it goes, oh, they've taken hold of the building, I better let unit F know that this building's been taken over to prepare themselves. So it's maybe like like someone's waving a flag out, like a white flag out the window and just saying we've been taken over. Yeah, so it's it's messaging, hey, the the viruses have taken over this cell, be careful, you might be next. We're, We're done for. Right, so that's interferons. Yep. All right, and they and they can and that way that next group of cells can prepare and make it more difficult for the virus to come in and invade. And it's likely because that cell is now infected that you'll probably get something like a natural killer come along and demolish the building. Yes. So kill it, kill the whole lot yep. because it's infected. It's going to die anyway. Okay. So Matt, we're going to take a break uh, and have a couple of supported ads. And then we'll be right back. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. So welcome back. We have recently been talking about the innate or non-adaptive arm of the immune system. And some of the things that we've been going through very quickly is using our analogy of the military on a battlefield is we spoke about the external defences. These are going to be the walls. These are going to be the fences, the barbed wire, the sandbags, the trenches, the, you know, the landmines, salting the fields. And this is basically your skin and your mucous membranes. We spoke about some of the cells that are non-specific, and these cells include uh, phagocytic cells like neutrophils, uh, fixed macrophages, wandering macrophages. Uh, 
they're sort of like the neutrophils of the first line of defense coming in, the riflemen, and then the fixed macrophages sitting there, snipers, wandering macrophages, which are monocytes. They're the scouts determining where an invading pathogen is to deter- turn into a macrophage. Then we have the granulocytes, and these are the eosinophils to target specific, well, m- more specifically parasites and basophils, which are allergens. And the basophils and the uh, mast cells, again, basophils wandering, mast cells fixed. And they've got the flamethrowers and they promote inflammation once an allergen has been exposed to them. And then we spoke about the natural killer cells. Yeah. Being these camouflaged guys running around with knives, stabby, stabby, stabby. And then the chemicals and we spoke about the complement proteins. They sort of uh, provide more ammo restock uh, what's needed and then the cytokines calling in for support. And the interferon. So we spoke about interferons. Mm. Um, interferons uh, help uh, warn other cells that a virus has infected a, a unit or a cell and then the interleukins call in air support. In this case, it was other white blood cells. But don't very quickly, because we're going to be finishing up the innate arm, don't cytokines also play a role in fever, which is an important yeah. physiological response in the innate aspect of the immune system? Yeah, so cytokines is just a generic term, which basically means to activate cells. Yeah. But they are released as kind of chemical messages between all the cells that are involved in these injurious processes and Defenses. microorganisms and so forth, right? So as these chemicals are being released, they're important to notify white blood cells and so forth to come to the area to try to remove the issue. But that can also not remain locally. It can also go into the blood. Right. And then the blood can go everywhere. Okay. So then this can notify distant regions that there is something going on the body, like a a battle or an invasion. Because aren't there certain types of cytokines which we haven't spoken about called pyrogens? Yes, pyrogens, which means uh, to generate fire. Like a pyromaniac, like yourself, goes around lighting fires. (laughs) So, so maybe these guys should have the flamethrower. Yeah. So a good example of a location that this is going to go is the hypothalamus. So that's a region of your brain um, in the diencephalon below the thalamus. And that does a number of things, but one important job it does in this particular context is regulate temperature. So did you – you said that um, – you've had some sort of invading pathogen, you've had an inflammatory response in a particular area, these cytokines have been released, they've flooded the area, one of them being pyrogens, aren't just acting there, they've jumped into the bloodstream and now they've floated up to the brain. Yep. And now they're going to have an effect at the hypothalamus. Yeah, and the hypothalamus usually just ha- regulates a set point temperature of your body. The thermostat. The thermostat, which is nicely at 37 degrees Celsius. Mm-hmm. But when it encounters this these chemicals again through the production of prostaglandin the prostaglandin changes the set point okay right. so in response to the pyrogen there's like an intrinsic effect so this could be an autocrinal signal okay which tells itself via prostaglandins turn up the temperature oh so the pyrogens increase the release of prostaglandins that's right and that changes the thermostat and it puts shifts it up probably closer to 40 degrees Celsius, which would be, I don't know, 115 Fahrenheit. So, Just guessing. So the body now, instead of thinking that the normal temperature is 37, it thinks the normal temperature is 40. Correct. So then if it sets it to 40, if you're now 37 degrees, it's going to think you're cold. 
That's right. So you shiver. That's right. Uh, or you to, to generate more generate heat. Generate more heat, yep. yeah. so and that's what shivering does. It's yep. just contraction, relaxation, contraction, relaxation of muscles that generates heat as a byproduct. And so you shiver and then you get hotter. And why is this... Beneficial? Is this just this... Well, is it? Or is it just a side effect no, of it inflammation? Is, it is quite beneficial. Right. Um, one thing it does is, remember, if we're talking about microorganisms here, they, because we term them now pathogens, which are disease forming they have generally been selected for to, to live most comfortably or to reproduce most comfortably at 37 degrees Celsius. Oh, okay. So they're perfectly suited. Viruses, bacteria, yeah, things like for, that. Okay. For your temperature, your physiological temperature. So if you bump up the temperature to 40 degrees, it makes everything they do more difficult. But what about our guys? Well, it's going to be unpleasant but, but some enzymes can, like working better at higher temperatures. That's right? right. They work faster. And your immune system actually works more efficiently at a higher temperature. Not too hot, yeah. but it does make it a bit more efficient. So what you're saying is the whole organism may not like the increased temperature. So the yeah, bacteria, you, the you, virus or you, yeah. but the individual cells may work faster and harder. Your immune cells, yeah. At that temperature. So yeah. you're... Are you telling me that a fever is a trade-off of your increasing the speed and efficiency of the immune system, but at the same time it's not great for the whole organism, i.e. you, and so it, it, there's like this trade-off that's Correct. happening. And Correct. obviously in the short term, fevers can be quite beneficial because it might knock the um, infection on the head, but if it lasts too long... Obviously, you'll or get, it gets too high. Or it gets too high, then that's to the further detriment of the whole Correct. organism, i.e. you, yep. and it might be quite bad. That's right. Because people have died of fevers before. Exactly. So particularly for young children, infants, babies, because they've got to develop a neurological system and you don't want it to bring it to 40 degrees and above mm. because those proteins in the central nervous system in the brain will start to de- denature and that's yes. going to cause significant problems. So you don't really want to be approaching those temperatures. And young young individuals, obviously the, the nervous system hasn't developed properly yet. And so uh, some uh, children can get seizures off yes. the back of uh, fevers yeah. as well. Yep. And so again, that's not something that you want. That's right. And so because we utilise prostaglandins here, again, the, the medications that we saw earlier with pain, can be utilised for fevers as well. So certain NSAIDs can be used to stop the production of prostaglandins, in this case, in your hypothalamus. A good example here would be paracetamol or acetaminophen, Which isn't an anti-inflammatory, but still targets prostaglandins. Yeah. So if you were to It's classify- probably more effective in this role. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it is an antipyretic, yeah. right? So anti-fever Fever. drug. Better than probably... So the way I think about it, and it's probably a very gross and possibly incorrect way of thinking about it, is that if you know people always go, oh, ibuprofen or paracetamol, right? And the way I see it is, well, if it's a fever, paracetamol. If it's inflammatory-based, ibuprofen. If you know that the fever is caused through an inflammatory process, probably ibuprofen. But again, it depends, mm-hmm. right? It depends, and it's not necessarily. And I would one size fits personally, all. as a, as a father, 
I would be inclined more for paracetamol. Yes. For my children. It's also well. tolerated yeah. better. I think it's just Especially a, for kids. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so a few other things here because we we are producing inflammation in this in this case from an infectious basis and we've got all these cytokines going everywhere. There's going to be other side effects of these cytokines, not just from the hypothalamus. I mean, the hypothalamus is producing a fever is not a side effect. It's actually a physiological response to a harmful thing that's happening in the body. Mm. But you're going to also encounter other physiological responses to this high amount of cytokines. So it will go to muscles and it and joints and make them you start develop things like myalgia or uh, what's... So because it's in the bloodstream, it's going to all these other organs and and, and can have varying effects there. So in the muscles, you can have myalgia, which is muscle pain. Um, Okay. Joint pain. Yep. Just generally feeling lethargic and nauseous. Right. And so these are all the common effects, systemic effects of that inflammatory response that can go broadly. Yeah. And this is also why people see these effects when they say become vaccinated. Okay, so, explain, so explain. When you take a vaccine... Because we'll de- talk about vaccines shortly. Yep. So when you take a vaccine, essentially what it's trying to do is introduce antigens into the body so you can then adapt to it, and this will be the adaptive immune system. Now, the, the way that you introduce the antigens could be in a whole array of ways. You could just throw the antigen in, so this would be subunit type of antigens, which I think is hepatitis style. So antigen, again, just to... Is iterate. the flag of the infectious agent. So it's just a part of that infectious agent. So it could be a protein, it could be a carbohydrate, it could be both. It's just a part of it that can be recognised by the immune system that can go, aha, that doesn't belong to us, that belongs to something else. Let's remember that and let's target it and attack it. That's right. Okay, so so keep going. So you could use that form, you could throw the, the dead microorganism in, so this would be a dead... Um, virus, as an example, yep. or, or you could throw in um, a very weakened virus. This is a live virus, but a live attenuated virus. Or like we saw with the vaccines from COVID, that was a bit of mRNA. Yep. And your own cells are then producing the antigen for for us. Yes. And then we respond to that antigen. You're saying that our own cells take the mRNA from the vaccine, translate it, into the amino acid sequence that folds into the protein, the body goes, wait a minute, I just made something that doesn't belong to me. That's right. Let's elicit an immune response. Yep. And so regardless... amazing, it is by amazing. the way. This technology is amazing. I know people talking a lot of stuff about it and, you know, the general public, there's people that you hear all the time online about, oh, I'm not putting any of that mRNA in me, even though every time you eat food, you <laughs> you're ingesting mRNA, mRNA. Yeah. but um, you're putting it in in a way that your body can make and translate into proteins that then go, oh, I mean, this is awesome because yeah. I know it's a bit of a digression, but you can take cancerous cells, take a sequence of the cancerous cell. Oh, you're talking about the vaccine? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So in the context of a vaccine, you can take cancerous cell, take the sequence of it that you know won't cause cancer, but the body will recognise as, hey, that shouldn't be there. Make it as an mRNA sequence, inject it in the body, translate it into a protein that, again, isn't cancerous, but the body goes, wait a minute, that's not right. I'm going to make antibodies against you. And what do you know when that cancer arises in your body or if it grows in your body, it's now got antibodies that recognise it 
and can attack it. So you could potentially have vaccines against cancer through mRNA technology. That is amazing. It's a game changer. Yeah. yeah. And I think in the future, if mRNA vaccines become... Um, More as, of a mainstay. Yeah, as, as mainstay as I think they will, not one person will complain about taking a cancer vaccine. Mm. Anyway. So in any case, regardless of the type of vaccine, what it's doing is introducing something foreign or at least is picked up as foreign, and your body will start mounting an inflammatory response to it. And it's probably going to be from a combination of those mast cells that will see, hey, you're not supposed to be here, and then the dendritic cells which will gulp it up and then be the bridge to take it to the to the adaptive immune system. But in any case, there's going to be inflammation in that yeah. area. So if you inject it into your arm, which it usually is, you're going to get local inflammation, so that's going to be red hot, painful, so that's the local effect, then your arm in that region is going to mount inflammation, so that's going to be all those flamethrowers. Yep. And so now you have a, a lot of cytokines going into your blood. Some some people will get fever Yep. and some people will start to get aches and pains, yep. and feel a bit rubbish. Yeah. And this is because your whole immune system is now ramping up. Yes. And you're talking about the productions of... Maybe half a million cells a second. Yeah. So that's a lot of energy and, you know, things that the body is trying to do. And that's probably why you're feeling tired for a few days. Exactly. It's not that, oh, no, I don't want to take that vaccine because it made me feel crap. Well, maybe. It's actually, it's not a, you shouldn't see it as a side effect. You should see it as your immune system's working. That's right. So it's a bit... The example I give as a comparison is it's like going to the gym and complaining a day or two days later that your muscle, muscle. sore. Yeah. Well, that's actually good. You yeah. want that. Yeah, to a point. But that's yes, right. But your point's correct. All right. But one last thing. Here we go. And when the cytokines go too much out of control, not in the case of vaccines, just in terms of generically speaking, this could d- cause a thing called cytokine storm. And we right. again saw that or heard about that with COVID, where in the lung, where the virus is really starting to infiltrate. Yeah. So usually the COVID virus will come in the nose, mouth, start to take over the cells and slowly make its way down your respiratory tract. And once it gets into your lung tissue and you're really replicating quickly, or the virus is, it's generating a lot of damage, injury and you're getting all these cytokines released. And cytokines is doing the inflammation. Yeah. So inflammation is great when it's in, say, a tissue like... It's localised. Localised. It hasn't gone crazy. But it's, it's... helping. That's right, it's helping. But not in this But case. if it's in your lung yeah. and you're getting all that fluid infiltrating into lung tissue, yeah. now your lungs become soggy, full of fluid, and it's not going to do good gas exchange. That's right. And so all of a sudden... You're, you're not not getting oxygen into your blood and CO2 out. And then if that continues, this is now moving into serious territory of pneumonia. And this is probably what led to a lot of people dying from it because it's just, you can't get air in. Yeah. A good point. Adaptive immune system. Right. So the adaptive <clears throat> immune system, We now we alluded to it earlier that when we look at the leukocytes, the white blood cells, You've got never let monkeys eat bananas. We spoke about the neutrophils. We spoke about the eosinophils. Um, we spoke about the monocytes. We spoke about the basophils. Sorry, 
Um, but we haven't spoken about the lymphocytes. And there's two types. And with multiple subcategories underneath those two types, which is B cells and T cells. It's about 20 to 30% of your white blood cells are lymphocytes. All right, yeah. so that, a significant percentage. Significant. Now, these are part of the adaptive arm. So yep. that means they are specific and they have a memory and that's extremely important. So now we're moving off to start looking at the special forces. Yeah, and the other thing I'll just add here, when you say they are specific, they generally mean they're so, they've got so much diversity that almost each different type, do you want to call them, are we, they still soldiers? Like they are. They are, special yeah. soldiers. But they're special soldiers, yeah. They, each one of them have a specific kind of, response to a specific antigen which makes them very diverse yes they've been trained in such a way that they're they know exactly who their enemy is and if that individual doesn't look like their enemy they won't attack and destroy but the thing is their neighbor or their fellow soldier is trained against somebody else yes and then their neighbor is trained against somebody else and so 99.99 percent if not more of these lymphocytes, T and B cells, won't ever meet their enemy in their lifetime. That's a good point. Right? But all it takes is for that 0.0001%. And as soon as one of them sees their enemy, they can go, I know that guy. That's right. And then they then call upon their friends and says, hey, he's here. Let's do it. And then they... The propagate. They make copies of themselves right. to, so that now instead of having one attack, they've got millions attacking. But let's take a few steps back. Let's talk about the fact that they're called T and B cells. So what is this referring to? Uh, where they mature or where they get their training. All right. So these are special soldiers. When they get trained, they need to be trained at specific uh, training facilities. And so the B cells... Well, where's their specific training yeah, facility? So, so basically all, all the cells that we've spoken about, all the white blood cells, full stop, yep. are made in bone marrow. Okay. okay. They're made from a stem cell. Red bone marrow. Yep, called a hemopoietic stem cell. Right. Okay. And then from that, so it's a stem cell, which means it will constantly, every second of the day, thereabouts, close enough, will produce offspring. Right. Okay. So just over and over and over again, but but because it's a, a stem cell, it's it's kind of only going to make blood cells. Yep. Okay. That's it. Now there's one line of cell that's going to make is the myeloid line, and that's made all the ones that you've already mentioned in the innate system. Okay. So that's the neutrophils, the sonophils, basophils, macrophages, blah blah blah. Monocytes. But this line is a lymphoid line, so they will make another lineage called the lymphoids, which are the special service. Right. Okay. So, Which would be what? Navy SEALs in the US or the SAS in Australia, yep. UK, New Zealand. Yep. Right. So Maybe Canada? Do they say they have SAS as well? The Mounties. I don't know if they're the special <laughs> services. <laughs> they're probably special in, in their own way. Okay. They are. They are. Um. <laughs> they ride moose, right? We're going to get complaints. Okay. Anyway. Uh, so that this is where this special well, our special forces they ride in kangaroos, kangaroos yeah, so yeah, it's right. all good. So this special services are coming from the lymphoid line. Yep. Okay. So regardless of B and T, they're coming from the bone. All right. That's right. So we'll start with the T because it's distinct here. So the T 
the reason why they've got the T name is they get sent... Todorovic. They get sent to a training camp. Teeth Teeth training. training camp, yes. I shouldn't say that. Yeah. They no, get sent to a training it. camp to mature to get kind of, um, what's the word? Or special training. Yeah, this special is, training. They've done their basic training in the bone marrow. Yep. And now they're off to the... The, the T, the, yep. th- the thymus. For their special training. Special T training, that's right. Right. Okay, okay, so the thymus is the T. That's right. And that's a gland. No, sorry. It's an organ. It's, a gland. it's an organ that's located kind of in your superior Sternum. metastinum. Yeah. Yep. Above the heart, kind of in the front of the trachea. Pretty big when you're a newborn yeah. because you're training a lot of T cells. Yep. But as you get older, that thymus pretty much shrivels into non-existence, right? Yeah, that's right. Like 80-year-olds, you probably can't even... See it post mortem. That would be a, a fairer guess. Yeah, and so and why is that? Is that because all the T cells have been trained? Yeah, I don't actually know. I don't know if there's no more maturity or it's still just to a, mi- a minute amount. I'm yeah, hundred percent sure. I think because all of the what we and we'll get there, the clonal expansion is happening in the lymphatic tissue. Okay, okay, but okay. So we've got basic training for T cells is happening in the bone marrow. They then go to the thymus and they get their special forces training there. Yes. The B cells. So they've got basic training in the bone marrow. Where's their special forces training? Well, the B technically was named uh, after a bursa in birds. Really? Yeah. But Not I bone marrow? No. I can't pronounce the, the – it's a bursa of some Italian guy's name. I, okay. can't, I can't remember it. But it's it, like essentially it was again, first – Probably chickens. It was first identified in, I think, chickens. So what, a little sack at a joint? <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't think it was. Bursa just means purse. Okay. But I think it was just a, a package location that they right. figured out. If you if they remove this structure, the bursa, out of chickens, it didn't seem to cause any difference. They're like, And then when they introduced, you know, bacteria or something in them, they're like, oh, they can still kill it off. Right. But they noticed that... No longer could kill, no longer could make antibodies. Okay. So they realized by taking this bursa out that B cells. they would have no ability to produce antibodies anymore. Okay. Now, so we're not chickens. So where is the training camp for special? Luckily, yes. it still is a, a location with B. Oh, great. The brain. <laughs> <laughs> no, just bone. Oh, it's bone marrow. They stay there. All right. So the, the B cells. Basic training bone marrow, and then they stay for the special training in the bone marrow as yeah. well. The thymus is for the T cells. Correct. All right. So now we've got these specially trained cells. They're trained by, in their specific training, they've been handed a photo of their enemy and says, this is the person that you are after. That's all you want is this person. Anyone else that doesn't look like this, forget about it. That's right. And each person will have a different photo, right? So basically a different antigen uh, recognition site it will have, and if it doesn't come across it, it's basically no enemy, right? Correct for both T and B cells. Correct. What now? If they haven't come across, if neither B or T cells, if they've never come across their quote unquote enemy or antigen, we'd term them naive yes. T and B cells. Well, right? actually, but they're all once they leave their leave their training camp, they're still all naive. Right. Okay. So basically. They could say, yeah, 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 I'm a Navy SEAL, but they've never seen battle. Correct. All right. Correct. But at the camp, yeah. they're going through some pretty rigorous training. Of course. So they got to, They're the best of the best. They've got a drill sergeant that yeah. really works them hard. Okay. And so, <laughs> so 
<laughs> when they're trying to identify the antigen, okay, they, um, they have to be, you know, good enough to know that they can kill them. Right. Okay, so they've got to um, train them in a way that they are really efficient killers. Oh, they need to test them. That's right. Make sure. So the, obviously yeah. there's testing that needs to be done. That's right. So they get into the point where they know that, yes, I'm as a drill sergeant, I'm confident that in a battle you'll be able to kill your enemy well. What if one of the soldiers went, I'm not happy with just one, I want to kill whoever? Well, before you get to that point, if they don't meet that criteria, yeah. the drill sergeant will just kill them. Whoa. So they're basically Intense. saying, look, look, mate. Why can't they just send them home? You just <laughs> haven't met the criteria to be here. You don't deserve to live. That's right. <laughs> You're gone. Okay, let's just say they send them home in this case. But yes, in the body, they kill it off. Send them home is an analogy for... Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. So, so if it can't get its specific target, it's out. Yes. What, what if it's not just getting its, its yeah. specific target, it decides to just go berserk. That's right. So now you, if, you, if the drill sergeant is too kind of aggressive and you're producing psychopaths right. that just go around killing people. It could be a danger to its own That's unit. That's right. So they also will get a watery grave. Okay. So that means that it, it really has a, a strict, stringent selection process. That's right. And what we, mean, team B cells. what we mean by that is you don't want to produce B or T cells that will um, generate autoimmune diseases. Exactly. And so that's what we're trying to illustrate here. Yeah, may have gone a bit too deep into it, but that's okay. So, but you're, exactly, we needed to clarify that. Now we've got these trained T and B cells. They haven't seen battle, they're naive, and now they're at headquarters, right? Yeah, so, so they're they waiting sent, for their orders. That's right. So they get sent... To strategic locations in the body yep. where they're likely to encounter the enemy. So what are these strategic locations? These locations are, how would you say, like uh, barracks? Nodes. Yeah. Is that what you meant or do you want actual uh, oh, I was anatomical say lymph terms? Nodes. Yeah, lymph nodes or lymphoidal tissue. Yes. So again, examples. Lo locations pretty close to the battlefront, yep. but if an enemy was to escape through, it's they're most likely to come through these... Uh, garrisons. Oh, okay, so great point. So some of these lymphatic tissues or, or headquarters where these naive team B cells are sitting includes at the back of the nose and throat, so your tonsils. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be lymphoid tissue in your gastrointestinal tract yeah. as well. Uh, it's going to be in other areas, axillary, under your yeah. arm, in your groin, and just placed almost sporadically throughout the body as your lymph nodes. So it's lymph lymphatic tissue or lymphoid tissue and lymph nodes. Yep. But this is where they sit and they sit to await further orders or That's further right. instructions, yep. both T and B cells. And so what can happen is a couple of things. I think we should start with the T cells, right? Because, yes, we should start with the naive T cell. Well, we, we should probably say, because as I spoke with the innate, there's usually the one character that's the bridge between the two. Okay, so this is the one, this is a cell that's likely to bring an antigen to the barrack. Yeah, so you've got your messengers, the people that come in, and they're going to say, I just got a message from the president. And the message is this, and it hands it to a naive T-cell, T -cell, right? right? And it's the photograph of the person it's been trained against its entire life. Yeah, yeah. And the it says, they're here. Yes. And, and this T-cell has to make a decision. It has to go, okay, 
I recognize this person, i.e. antigen. What am I going to do? Am I going to? Now, it can take two parts. It can either become what's called a T helper cell, where it starts to manage and facilitate the response. So if it becomes a T helper cell, it can go, okay, I'm going to gather more troops. I'm going to show them where to go, tell them where to go and organize the plan. So it becomes like a general. Like a general. Or it can become a killer and become a cytotoxic T cell and says, yeah. just give me the rifle. I'm going out front, Sarge. But, right? but these guys are the ultimate snipers. So they are yes. popping a guy off from two kilometers away. Yes. Yeah. That's right. And so it makes that decision. Now, if it goes and says, I'm going to help facilitate the whole thing, it's a helper cell. Yeah. And these helper cells don't just help other T cells and say, go that way. The helper cells can also help B cells. Yes. And so let's just say this uh, specially trained soldier sees the photo and goes, I'm going to become a helper cell. It calls upon T cells and says, all right, I've seen it. It's this, looks like this. Make more copies of yourself and go in that direction and go kill it. So is that, um, you're talking about the cytotoxic T cells here? It calls the cytotoxic T cells to do that. It can also go to the naive B cells and show it to them. And yep. say, hey, look at this photo. And again... Anyone recognise this? And only one B-cell will. It says, yes, Sarge, I can recognise this person. Great. What are you going to do? So now what the naive B-cell does is it goes, well, I recognise it now. Give me that photo. As soon as it takes the photo off, that, that Sarge, the helper T-cell, it becomes a plasma cell. The B-cell becomes a plasma cell and says, don't worry... I'm going to take this photo or this shirt or sock or whatever, the antigen Mm -hmm. from the bad guy and give it to my sniffer dog. And that's me sniffing. That dog is now the antibody and it says, recognize this guy. Off you go. Go get it. Go, go, go get it. And not only do you have one- There's a lot of dogs here. Yeah, you've got millions. And those dogs just run out of the barracks and just go throughout the entire system or field, or wherever they are, and they find that bad guy. Yep. So they're looking for that one antigen yep. that's going to be part of that microorganism. So the naive B cell will become a plasma cell once it recognises the antigen. It then creates a whole bunch of antibodies off the back of that antigen that are specific for that antigen and send them out into the system. Before we go into the system... Remember, all of this, all of this training from the naive to, so the naive T cell to either the helper cell that facilitates the project or the cytotoxic T cell that goes out and snipes and the naive B cell to turn into a plasma and an antibody, it all happens in the lymphatic tissue or at least most of it happens in lymphatic tissue. And the reason why this is important to say is that if you have, let's say, cut your arm and you've got an infection in your arm, you might find that the lymphatic tissue under your armpits are larger and raised. You can palpate them, you can touch them, and they might be sore. The reason why that's the case is because the antigens or the pathogens that have entered your body through the bloodstream will jump into the lymphatic system and it will travel through into those lymph nodes, carrying the antigen with it. And it presents that antigen to the headquarters. Basically that photo that says, hey, this thing is here. Stimulating those cells to turn into more T cells and more B cells is what we call clonal expansion. They make more copies of themselves and the tissue literally gets larger. 
Yeah. Because you're making more copies of those cells, which then will bleed out, not literally, but then will spread out into the bloodstream and start to attack the area. That's right. So it's not just an important point is that you're going to have those messengers bringing that photo in. They're macrophages. So oh, antigen presenting cells, yeah. Antigen presenting cells, which are generally like wandering macrophages. Or the dendritic cells, yeah. Sorry, or, the de- or it could be the dendritic cells that are embedded in the lymph tissue itself. Or you can have the actual um, invading pathogen get filtered into the lymphatic tissue itself and it recognises it directly, basically. Yeah. Right? So, good, yeah, that's right. So what could happen, uh, using our analogy still, is... One like a naive B cell could be outside the barrack washing its face in the river, and along comes yeah. something from the enemy, like, like a, a hat, like a hat. Yeah, and it takes it up. So this is going to be the antigen. Takes it up, does it? It, it actually phagocytoses itself, right. but it goes back. This hat's delicious. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Goes back into the barrack, but it needs a T cell hill here to activate it. Instead of phagocytosing it, maybe he puts the hat on and walks inside. That's right. Puts and it on. And the T cell's like, wait a minute, I recognize that hat. And so that T cell does the same thing as we spoke about earlier with the antigen presenting cell. So the T cell now becomes a helper cell. Yeah. So it goes from naive to helper and tells the B cell that's wearing the hat, hey, you need to become plasma. A, a plasma cell. And make more of those. So the, the B cell can antibody. also play a role as an antigen presenting cell. Have we, Matthew, confused our audience? Possibly, possibly. <laughs> but you know, like you feedback. said, at the, like you said feedback. at the start, it's, it's complex. complicated, and we try to do it in a way that just makes a bit more sense in a different way. We've pretty much covered innate and adaptive immunity, don't you think? Well, you haven't really spoke about what the cytotoxic T cell will do. So this is a sniper, right? Yeah. So this one, once it has it, because it's been made from a particular antigen, yep. it can now go to a vantage point, look out in the battlefield, and know exactly now who it's looking for. Right. And so now it's it's almost like a, a natural killer cell. Yeah. But it's very selective. It'll only kill that one of the antigen. And yep. so it sits up there with its sniper rifle, kilometers away, ready. And once it's locked in it will radio back to the helper cell, yep. the T helper cell, and says, General or Sergeant, I've got it. I need to go ahead, Sarge. Do you want me to go? And he will, he or she will give a radio back and say, yeah, go for it, and then boom, and Done. the cell's dead. There you go. All right, so that. We're almost finished. Oh. And this is the big, probably important part. Oh, okay. Once the battle has finished, yes. because we've made so many clones Right. Of the T and the B cell. Yes. Right. That's very specific to that antigen. So remember, to go from the naive to the huge amount of T and B, T, B, T and B cells from just that one antigen selected T and B, B cell, we've made millions and millions of copies of the same cell. Right. Does it make sense? Yep. The battle's now finished. There's no more bacteria. So a lot of them will just get culled off. Yep. But then... The remaining amount get trans transferred into retirement. Oh. But as memory cells. But won't they be like, I'm too old for retirement? Anyway, so, and, <laughs> and, and what do they do? So it's a bit like um, Tom Cruise in Maverick, right. come up, you know, 20 or years Danny later. Glover in <laughs> Lethal Weapon. 20 years later, he comes back. I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> so basically, what I'm saying is, 
the excess amount of the T and B cells, they get turned into memory cells yep. for just in case down the track we encounter that. Oh, uh, yeah. And they're like, we need your back, Maverick. We need your back. <laughs> that's right. The Russians are coming <laughs> or whatever. Actually, I think in the latest they Maverick episode, they didn't have an enemy. Yeah, that's, so right, that's, that's, that's good. Right, that's or right. an, an enemy. <laughs> See an enemy. So the point there is, and this is the crux of the, the adaptive immune system. Yeah. The second time you encounter, it's much quicker. Of course. So what you illustrated with a an invading army coming in, getting through the first line, the second line, mm. then being phagocytosed, taken to the lymph node, finding the right T cell, selecting for it, clonal expansion, B cells being made into plasma cells, cytotoxic T cells, all this will take two weeks. Right. Right? So it's a long time. Yeah. Partic- particularly if it's a serious infection, right? You mightn't have two weeks. Yeah. So if you've done it once, then you've got all the cavalry made for it. And so they're just waiting around as memory cells. The Mounties. That's right. <laughs> and so if it was to be invaded again, it's going to... A lot faster. A lot quicker. Great. Which is yeah. what we try and do with vaccinations. That's right. We try to prime the immune system to have the memory cells for next time. That's right. Thank you for that, Maddie. Uh, very quickly, I just want to do some listener mail and uh, going to read two emails. Uh, please, if you want to send us an email or contact us, you can go to our website, which is drmatdrmike.com.au. That's D-R-M-I-K. No, that's my name. That's D-R-M-A-T-T-D-R-M-I-K-E.com.au. And you can send us an email from there or just go to or email gubiosciences at gmail.com. Tell us if you like the show, give us feedback, um, you know, questions, all those types of things. And that's what we're doing here very quickly. So I have an email here from Arena. And Arena says, hello, amazing team. Well, hello, Arena. I am Ira. So I will now call you Ira, Arena. Uh, Living in Israel, studying in nursing school year one. Congratulations. I hope you're enjoying it. Until I came to a YouTube channel, I was very lost in the amount of material that is distributed throughout the internet. Your explanations simply changed the world of learning for me, especially as someone diagnosed with ADHD, I feel you there, and as someone whose English is not their native language. Everything is explained in very accessible and understandable English. First of all, thank you for doing this for me and for students like me. Secondly, I would be very happy if you could make a worksheet for all the subjects or if there is a good database that you can recommend, I'd be very happy. I don't know if you have material that can be downloaded like PDF or bundles. It would be amazing if there was something like that. Keep up the amazing work, Ira. Thank you so much, Ira. We really appreciate that. What Matt and I are currently working on is a transcript of the podcast. So every podcast episode will have a transcript transcript available and it will be available on the uh as a link on the website itself or on the podcast sorry itself and you'll be able to access the video of the podcast too it may not be up straight away but you can get the transcripts straight away on our website so if you go to our website you can click the long form episodes and download the transcripts we're also building some courses some mini courses that cover topics like this where there'll be multiple videos readings activities things like that so watch this space we will let you know when they are released second email maddie so we've got an email here from oh i might read two more very quickly tabitha 
So Tabitha sends us an email. Uh, firstly, hi, Tabitha. Um, hi, doctor. I love your videos on the human body. I was wondering if you could make one about the anatomy of the pectoral region. It's such a fascinating part of the body and I think your viewers would love to learn about it. Thanks for considering my request. Think we can do that? I'm surprised you haven't done it. I have uh, looked at the pectoral region as part of uh, scapular movement uh, and also as part of uh, flexion at the shoulder. So I have done a video. It hasn't focused specifically on it. But I've looked at the deltoid, uh, sorry, the pectoral region, looking at pec major, pec minor, origins, insertions, and so forth. So there is a video there, but I can do one specifically targeting it. And finally, we have an email here from Robert about intracrine signaling. Let me first say um, intracrine signaling was what we spoke about in the endocrine system review. Yeah, I said I brought that up and I couldn't explain it. Uh, well, you did. You just may not have explained it. I, I came across a term. I didn't really look much further than that. But it is a term that has now been utilised or used within the endocrine physiology space. So, yeah. tr- as I said, traditionally within endocrinology, there would be the idea of putting the, the hormone into blood. That's a typical endocrine signaling. Then there would be paracrine, which is in the neighbourhood. And then there's autocrine, which we kind of spoke about. That's how the B cells and T cells work at communicating yeah. with each other and yep. colonial expansion. That's through autocrine. But then intracrine is in the cell rather than on the cell. Yes. And from what Robert is saying is that uh, intracrine is confusing and is correct. Um, and it, the definition is not a direct parallel to the concepts of endocrine, autocrine, and paracrine. So basically what Robert states is that under this definition, what basically happens is that the hormones released by a cell, if they are taken back up by that cell, they often undergo intracrine conversion. And so they can change into other various types of chemicals. And a common um, example of this includes those cholesterol-based hormones such as testosterone and estradiol and estrogen and so forth. And so he's basically stating that to be a bit more specific, that's what we're referring to here. He says, under this definition, intracrine signaling does seem a bit of a pedantic term, but it does raise the important concept that hormones may be modified from their secreted form for specialised needs within the target tissues. Because of intracrine conversion, males have a relatively stable amount of estradiol during the lifespan because it can be produced by intracrine conversion of DHEA or testosterone. Female estradiol is primarily produced by the ovaries and declines sharply during menopause. So really appreciate that, Robert. These are emails that we love. So please, if there's something that you'd like to elaborate on that we've spoken about or correct Matthew when he's been incorrect, which is quite common. That's right. Quite frequent. Send us an email. You can contact us again on our website or you can come say hi to me on social media, which is at Dr. Mike Todorovich, at D-R-M-I-K-E-T-O-D-O-R-O-V-I-C. Matthew, thank you for joining me today. It was a pleasure. And everybody, thank you so much for listening to The Immune System. Yeah, yeah, yeah.